Today on the Leadership Collective Podcast, we're bringing you another classic episode. This is one that I personally learned so much from, and I know that Ted did as well. So today, our guests are the one and only Daniel Fusco and Miles Benedictus, and they're talking about managing growth through systems and structures. And so this is going to be an episode I know you're really going to enjoy. And so here we are now with this episode, this classic episode of the Leadership Collective Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Collective Podcast, a conversation focusing on the challenges that leaders face in ministry. Each month, we sit down with seasoned ministry leaders to discuss the nuts and bolts of how they've navigated specific challenges in ministry and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Ted Leavenworth pastor of Reliance Church in Temecula, California. And I'm Rob Sabato, lead pastor at Calvary Vista in Vista, California. Well, today we're kicking off season two of the Leadership Collective podcast, and Ted and I are joined today by two great guys, Pastor Miles Benedictus from Cross Connection Church in Escondido, California, and the one and only Pastor Daniel Fusco from Crossroads Church in Vancouver, Washington. And today we're going to be talking about managing systems and strategies for growth in your team, in your church, or in your ministry. Daniel and Miles bring some incredible insights to this subject that I personally have already implemented into our ministry, and I think that you are going to find this episode to be really, really helpful. And so now, here is our conversation with Pastor Daniel and Pastor Miles. Well, welcome to the program, guys. Hey, it's so good to be with everyone. I wish I could be in the room with you all. So, but I get to be at a distance. So, Daniel is joining us via Zoom for this conversation. I pretty much only ever see Daniel on a screen, probably most of us at this point in time. So, so it's just normal here. Yeah. (laughs) So, it's great to have you guys uh, on here. And today we're talking about managing growth through systems and structures. And, Ted, why don't you give us a working definition of systems and that process and just kind of what that looks like? Sure. So a system is a combination of uh, processes or parts, if you will, that, that work together to form the whole. So uh, a working definition, an example might be mass transit. And, uh, you know, if you, you, uh, you have the system of mass transit and its purpose is to efficiently move or transport you from one place to another. And so in order to accomplish that, uh, the system needs to have certain processes. And so uh, you have to, you know, process for ticket sales, a process for equipment maintenance, for repair, for, you know, safety processes, et cetera. And, and then the idea is that all of these moving parts, all of these processes, they, uh, they collectively form the system, which the, the purpose of which is to get you from point A to point B. And, uh, and so the, 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 the idea is that the system is the what and the processes are the how. And so, you know, the idea, you know, if you don't have all the moving parts or if some of the parts aren't working correctly, then uh, a system can come to a standstill. It can be an ineffective system. And, uh, and so th- th- that's the thing. All of those moving parts are the processes that accomplish the, the, uh, the system and work together to form the system. Um, and, and I think it's important also to understand that these parts aren't static. Yeah. Um, 
that that it's not like a set it and forget it kind of thing. It, it's something that you know you you need to 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 manage these things and develop these things and understand. For instance, as you grow, that uh, the parts are going to change. Um, that you're going to you know have to alternatively add new parts. You're going to have to rework old moving parts. Uh, and so that's that's sort of the general idea. Yeah, and and you you know I think some people have a tendency to think you know when they come to church that there is there is no process <laughs> you know they have no <laughs> idea what's going on behind. Well, some the churches scenes. there isn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I want to ask you guys, um, what are some of the specific examples of systems and processes, structures, you know, in your church and um, in your ministry context? So, Miles, why don't you kick that off for us? Well, I, I appreciate what Ted said about kind of the, the what and the how of these things, that these processes, these systems, they they develop the what and the how. And when you were saying that, it reminded me, you guys probably saw this book a number of years ago, it came out by Simon Sinek about Start With Why. Yeah. And a lot of the times when we're approaching what we're doing at our church, we're really kind of trying to get at that point of what is the the reason that we're doing this? Why are we doing this whole thing? And I mean, obviously, we all know the Great Commission, you know, mm-hmm. go make disciples. And if if we're wanting to get people to a goal of being a faithful, obedient follower of Christ, a disciple, we have to have some sort of way to get them there. That's the what and the how. But we've, we've really got to go back to the theological basis for why are we doing this? Well, yeah. Jesus told us to do it. And, you know, I grew up going to church. I think, you know, probably, I don't think Daniel did. Daniel came to the Lord when he was older, you know, in college. They kicked him out but, of churches. Right. <laughs> so, but for you guys, I don't know if you grew up in church, but I grew up in church and and, you know, I've been around a lot of churches for a long time and seeing that, you know, a lot of times we don't even define that we're wanting to make disciples here. Right. And, you know, we don't have a clear, you know, aim at that purpose that the Lord has given to us. And so you, you really need to step back, I think, from there and just say, you know, why are we doing this? Well, yeah. the Lord told us, go make disciples. And then we start to fill in some of the gaps of, all right, how are we going to do that? What are we going to do to make that a reality? Right. Yeah, and I think that what you're saying is absolutely, you know, it's, it's so right on. And everybody has systems and processes uh, in their churches. It's just a matter of, is it intentional or not? So an right. unintentional system is still a system. It's just one that isn't fruitful, you know? And, and so uh, when you think about the idea that, that because the goal is to make disciples and really God is glorified by us bearing much fruit. So, so when, when you, when you start with that as, as the, the, the goal of it, then you, then you back yourself into what do we need to do for this to be fruitful? And there was a, an old book that came out years ago about, uh, you know, kind of church processes called the trellis and the vine. And uh, I always love that idea that you use trellising if you're, let's say you planted some tomato plants. I'm Italian. So, you know, you have to have some, <laughs> actually a whole bunch of you guys are Italian. So, you know, and, and, and Ted, I don't think your last name is Italian, but you're honorary for the day. But like, you know, when those tomatoes start to grow a little bit, they get heavy. And if you don't have trellising, then the, the fruit starts to sag. It doesn't get to the sun and it won't grow to its potential. So I always think of the systems and processes as the trellising to keep the fruit in its optimal place so that it can, that it can grow to whatever size God would have it grow to. And so we want to make sure that, like, that we're intentional about those systems and processes so that we can be as fruitful as Jesus would have us be. So, Ted, give us an example at your church of, of a system that is in place right now that would, you know, fit into what we're talking about. Okay. Well, okay. So, so let's let's start with the big picture. You know, the kind of the you know how you're looking at at the whole um, the whole enchilada. So, 
um, to continue uh, to, to, to Using continue Southern our, California. Our, Southern our, California. Southern California terms no, I'm going to I'm going to just you, no, no, no. We're going to we're going to we're going to focus there. Um, so you know, you've got uh, it's been said that like a, growing a church, you got four pillars, right? You've got that that uh, in terms of the the things that you have to manage for a growing church. So you've got your preaching. And you've got your children's ministry, and you have your worship, and then you have um, your uh, and in children's ministry, I, I count you know junior high, high school ministry, and then you've got just the fellowship connection. And I call those the four pillars because you know we encourage church planners, um, you know, you really need to address all of those because you can have phenomenal preaching, and you can have uh, great worship, and you can even have great uh, relational connections where, where people are actually, you know, the, the old saying, people aren't looking for a friendly church, they're looking for a friend at church. And so you can have all those dynamics, but if you've got a train wreck ch- children's ministry and people aren't going to come to your church, they're not going to stay. And, and we've seen real world examples of, of that happening. So, um, and, and so a system and a structure for the children's ministry would be, all right, we need to be able to understand that, <clears throat> That people are coming with, you know, number one, they want to make sure that their kids are safe, mm-hmm. that, that, that they're going to be checked into a place where going to be, they're going to be safe and protected. They're going to be well taught. Um, that there's, it's not just going to be, you know, babysitting or childcare, but there's actually going to be comprehensive instruction that's taking place. And so a system that you put in place needs to address all of these issues. It needs to be, all right... So they, they slow to 20 and let their kids tuck and roll, and then what, you know? And so the system looks at how, uh, you know, what's our signage look like? Do, you know, when they're arriving, how do they know where to go? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the check-in process look like? And, um, and is it, you know, is there, is there an engagement there? Is, there? is there a comprehensive safety system in place for can, you know, once I drop my kids off here, Who's watching them? Uh, what are the policies that are in place in regards to my kid going to be alone with somebody somewhere? Or is there going to be uh, is there going to be accountability there? Is there going to be a team of people there? What's their training um, to be able to to care for my people? Um, all of those things inform the system that you think through, and then you you subsequently put into place. Yeah, I know at our church, it, it starts even before that. It starts in, in our parking lot because right. we have Absolutely. a very limited parking. And so we have a whole system and structure for just getting cars in and out and, you know, who parks where. And if our lot gets full, we're, how, how we're directing people. Yeah, let me jump on that because that's important now because what you're, what you're bringing up is that because I was just talking about the system and structure for the children's ministry, but then you have to have you you have a hundred other systems and right. structures for other things. So you've got a system and structure for your parking ministry yeah. to be able to safely get people in and on, and you know transmit. And these all need then to work together too. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know listening to what you're saying, Ted. One of the things that I found can be a real challenge. We've all experienced this. The longer you live in a house, the less you pay attention to a lot of the things that are out of order. <laughs> you know, I still have some you know, baseboards that need to be caulked that are like five years in and I haven't done it. You don't do any of those things till you get ready to move. So <laughs> a lot of times when we're, when we're in a church environment that we've been at for a long time, we, we start to overlook a whole bunch of the things that are going to be a challenge to the first time person who's coming to the church. And so, you know, we're constantly asking people who are 
newer to the church that they could give us some feedback about yeah. where are the, the pain points. Like we, two values we try to have at the church for some of the processes that you are talking about is to have, you know, using your traffic sort of mindset, we try to have easy on-ramps, you know, mm-hmm. make it as easy as possible for people to get on-ramped to various things, whether it's children's ministry or whatever it may be. And then we're always trying to look for the areas where there's, there's friction. Is there anything that's kind of slowing movement down in that process? So easy on-ramps and friction are the two big things. And I got to be honest, I've been a part of the church, the church I pastor for a very long time, even before I was the senior pastor of the church. So most of those things I'm completely blind to. Right. Yeah. And so I have to be asking people who are new to the church, um, you know, what, where are those pain points? Where is the friction? So we can try to address it because I'm totally blind to it. Right. Yeah. And well, I think, I think, I, I think oh. well, let me just say, say this. One of the things I would say is we could do a whole other podcast on this is, is when you've been in a church a while, not only do you tend to not see things, but I think as visionaries and pastors, we're, trying to train ourselves to look for those things. But then it's trying to get the people who have been there forever right. who right. who don't see the things and they don't even see the problem and to try to get them to see why we need to change this and make this bit, bit better. That, right. I think that can be a really, really big challenge. What were you going to say, Daniel? Well, yeah, I think, you know, to kind of piggyback off of, <laughs> of what you guys are saying, a system and a process that you can use is like we always tell our staff, that uh, we don't just want to work in the ministry. We need to work on the ministry, right? And so one of the things that we do at Crossroads is by working on the ministry, we we do something called a four by three, which is four initiatives uh, over three months. So we do do them uh, three sets of them every year. And and it's all about what are we doing? What do we need to improve? And how are we going to improve it? Because what we found is like Miles was saying, you know, that when you live... when you first get there, you notice all the things that you're like, oh, that's kind of, they need to fix that. Or that thing doesn't, that doesn't work right. Or that doesn't look good or whatever it is. But then once you're habituate to it, it's just what it always looks like. Right. So you actually have to force yourself to, to look at it fresh through a fresh set of eyes all the time. Right. And so we actually have instituted that process of the four by three. So like, let's say like, so for kids ministry, since we were talking about kids ministry, or you're talking about, you know, the parking lot. So that's our safety ministry. Each, every three months, they have four initiatives that they're working on that are going to upgrade whatever it is that we're doing in whatever area it needs to be in. And so like for kids ministry, they'll come and say, listen, uh, we want to make sure that we are, um, that every single child uh, has a Bible, right? What I just made that up off, off, off the top of my head. And then, and, then, and then they'll just say, okay, in order to make sure that every single child at Crossroads has a Bible, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to work on it for the next three months. Right. On, so, on. so that becomes something that happens. And then you end up managing it, making sure the kids always have Bibles. But in every area, we have to kind of force ourselves because, you know, we realize that attrition is normal. We get, you know, we get focused on other things and things start to slide. Right. And because we're so used to seeing it, we don't realize how far it can slide, right, uh, right. which will be, uh, which will be, have a negative impact on the work we're trying to do. What is it, Craig Rochelle, who says that culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Yeah. And uh, we, we wind up allowing a lot of things and they just become furniture to us. Like you were saying, Miles, that. Um, you know, it takes, you, you've now listed your house and your realtor comes in and says, what's all that stuff on your counter? And you're like, what stuff? You didn't even see it. And, and yeah. you have to become aware of those things. I got it. Just for clarification, Daniel, are you saying that every ministry takes four initiatives 
over three months. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and every single year. So every it's like year. we end up doing, so what we do, and here's again, it's a system and a process is we leverage Easter, what we call back to church Sunday, which is the Sunday after Labor Day. So coming into the fall and then Christmas as they're kind of like catalyst times. So we say before Easter, everyone has their four by three that they're working on. So from Christmas to Easter, these are the initiatives that every, and, and this isn't just like ministries. I mean, like our operational staff, I mean, we, we have a staff of, of about 45 full-time equivalent employees, you know, in different departments. So in every area of the church, there are upgrades that are being made. There are things that need to get worked on. So there's Easter's the first deadline. Then we have what we call Back to Church Sunday, which is the Sunday after Labor Day in the Northwest. The sun comes out only in the summer. So everyone <laughs> vanishes and, and gets vitamin D. And then once when, when school gets back in, I was like, okay, we need to get back to going to church. We need to get and so we use that as a catalyst Sunday. So from Easter to back to church Sunday, and then once from back to church Sunday, the Sunday after Labor Day till Christmas. So these those are like the arbitrary deadlines that they have to get these initiatives and they have to declare what the initiatives are. They have to agree upon them with their supervisors, and then they have to initiate them and drive them to get them to the point where we want to get to. And it's everything from how do we cultivate more prayer in our ministries? How do we uh, get this outreach off of the ground? Right. How do we make sure that the, whatever we need to work on, whatever the, the friction points, the pressure points are? Uh, we're, so, And what it also does, by God's grace, is we never get into the place where people are like, oh, uh, nothing's allowed to change here because things are always changing. Right. Things are always getting up, right? So, so you, so you never have the. I just love that 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 couch has been there since <laughs> I got I got baptized in the spirit in the seventies. It's yeah. like, well, that that couch got thrown out a long time ago. <laughs> so sorry. We have a new couch for the Holy Spirit to work in your life on, so it's right here. Well, that uh, your articulation of of what you have going, and by the way, I've I've made a personal note uh, on that because I think that's solid gold. What you just shared the uh, four initiatives over three months. Um, I think that. What would you say in the, to the person who hears that and their response might be, man, that's too corporate. That's, that's too slick. Uh, they, they, you know, you should be more spirit led than that. That's unspiritual that you're so rigidly structured in that way, because you know, there are those, there are those that are going to, going to think that way. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Daniel, but I want to move to you too, Miles. I'd love to hear uh, you and Rob, your input as, as well to those person to say, man, that's just, that's too corporate. That's too slick, what you're talking about. Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. One, I would say um, that anytime something is larger than one person, it becomes, it adds complexity. So size adds complexity, right? And so like, if you're running a, you know, like an owner operator, like if you're a painter and you just go paint rooms, then you don't need any processes. You're your own process. But right as you add a second painter or a bookkeeper, you have processes. Yeah. So, so side people, people don't like structure because they actually don't like accountability. <laughs> right. And so, so, and, and so what, so I would say that first off, because it's larger than just one person, it needs structure. And, but I would also say, if you read your Bible, the Holy spirit functions in structure all the time. I mean, thank God Adam was made after God created the earth <laughs> and vegetables, <laughs> right? It's like, so like there's an order to it. When you look at, at the giving of the law, it's like who, when you're going to break down the tabernacle, there's a structure who gets to do what job when they break camp, who goes first, 
right? By the time you get into the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, they have to initiate deacons because there's too much work and they need a division of labor. So we have a biblical example of structure being placed in around the work of God so that God can do the work that he wants to do. Now, if the, I think it becomes corporate if it's kind of like where Jesus said, you know, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sometimes our structures can be constricting and, and it's not, no, these structures exist so that we can be efficient and fulfill God's purposes. So I, first I would argue from a biblical standpoint that structure is part of God's plan. Second, I would say because of our size, you know, uh, we can either have an unintentional uh, structure or we rather have an intentional, efficient one that gets the job done so that we can be focused on other things. And then the third thing that I would probably argue would be we have this tendency to think that the spirit only works spontaneously. And, and I think that that is not a biblical uh, view of the way the spirit works. There are times when the spirit will work incredibly spontaneously. But if you even think about the prophetic words that God gave to the prophets, very rarely did they get the word and speak them out. They would get the word, they'd have to travel to go deliver it. And no doubt they'd be praying through the word, what God wants to do. And so, I, so I'm a very spontaneous person. And I actually think that the structure around the things that we do regularly actually creates more margin so we can be spontaneous. Yeah, amen. And, and so, so in all those ways, I would say actually having structure is, is very spirit-filled, spirit-led, and uh, God works in these ways. Awesome. Yeah, I— I love what you were saying about uh, people don't like the structure because they don't like accountability. I think that that's really, really key. And I mean, we've all observed that and in so many different ways. And, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of working with a number of different ministries and kind of, and not just churches, but other institutions, organizations to help them kind of remap what they're doing. And even those that really like a casual culture, as they'll say, or, you know, they, they don't want to become too corporate. It's like, you look around and it's like, Every church has systems and processes and things that they're doing, but some of those things are just haphazard and reactive instead of being proactive and, you know, clear. And just like Daniel was saying that a lot of these things, they, they make it more streamlined. I, back over the summer, we've got a pool in our backyard and our pool pump went out. And in San Diego, when the pool pump goes out, you've got like four days in the summer before your pool is like a, a giant green pit. Right. And so pool guy comes over to look at it and and he's, he says, you know, we don't, obviously we have these supply chain issues right now. And he goes, well, we can't get you a whole new pump. We can get you just a new motor. I said, like, okay. And then he looks at all the pipes on my filter and he goes, who piped this thing? And I said, I don't know. I moved in. It was like this. And he goes, it's got all these 90 degree angles. He said, every 90 degree angle is creating 20 feet of resistance in your system. I had no idea, wow. but it's like all of a sudden you realize that, you know, somebody haphazardly put this together because they thought they were saving money. And what they really did is they made the thing not run very efficiently. But if you've got someone who knows what they're doing and they cut out all that stuff, all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, things are working way, way better. We're getting more done than we ever did before. So I think we need to think strategically in that way. And then going back to what we all see observationally, I mean, God is into systems and processes. I mean, within our bodies, we've got a circulatory system, a respiratory system. We've got all these systems. And throughout the cosmos, we have all these systems. And they all are finely tuned and perfectly made. And God put some forethought into this stuff. And I think that he's given us brains to reasonably and rationally think through, like, how are we doing this stuff? And are we doing it well and measuring what, what is hindering us from moving forward faster? Yeah, I think that's great. And I love the, you know, the idea. I think the system and structure creates, you know, a, a, a playing field, if you would. And then, you know, within that, there is the room, like you said, for the spontaneity. And I think a good example of that is, 
you know, all of us spend a good part of our week where we are preparing, we're studying. There's a a discipline and a system and a structure to the way that we approach the word. But then in the moment that we're giving the message, there's that spontaneity of the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's within the framework of, and I think all of us have seen preaching where, you know, it's just spontaneity. There's no system, no structure, and it's all over the place, you know, and it's hard to follow. And it just, you know, um, so I, I think that, you know, that, is a good way that you put that, you know, there is, there is spontaneity and room for that to be, if the, if the Lord, the Holy Spirit saying, okay, Hey, I know this is your system and structure, but right now I want you to do this. There's, there's room for that being led in that way. But the system and structure is becomes the playing field upon which the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to, to work. Well, and I think that it's important for us to recognize that among the gifts of the Spirit are gifts of administration. Yeah. And that there are people so who are gifted in that area. I mean, you know, I think of Moses as like a quintessential senior pastor. He's easily distracted by burning bushes and fighting <laughs> Hebrews. But then you've got like, you've got a Jethro who has a gift of administration who comes in in Exodus 18 and says, this needs to be organized. Right. Or when they're building the tabernacle, you, Exodus 31 talks about a holy Abin Baziel who were gifted by God to know how to make this a reality. I mean, Moses has a vision. He has no idea how to make that a reality. But you've got people who do. And so several years ago, we had a worship leader. He's since gone to be with the Lord. He, uh, he died of pancreatic cancer, but he was a, a C-level executive at a major defense contractor. And he came in and I just started asking him questions. And this guy started pointing out dozens of ways we could just more efficiently do work around the church. And it was like, man, this guy is worth his weight in gold in every way, just because he sees things that I don't. And he's got ideas about how to do stuff that I would never come to. And Miles, I think that's so important that you point that out because... Um, some guys, and even guys listening to us uh, right now, uh, they, they're intimidated by these things. They're thinking, man, I'm not wired that way. When God was handing out the gifts, I was at the back of the line on this one. Um, and some, there's a lot of guys that feel like, man, I'm in over my head here. I don't, I don't even know what I don't know. You know, and the, the old saying, it's not what you don't know that's going to kill you. It's what you don't know that you don't know. And, and so I think your, your point is so important to take to heart that, you have these guys in your churches, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can be praying for the Lord to direct you to these guys and humble yourself to be able to say. Uh, and sometimes it's it's the it's, this doesn't always work this way, but but it, it it frequently does work this way where somebody will come to you and they'll point something out, um, and we might have the the initial reaction to dismiss them as being critical, but rather saying okay. Is there something you would do differently? Right. You know? One of the things that I I would even call this a system and structure within our ministry is something that I do with everybody on our staff is I will have them make a list of what what they see are their strengths and what they see are their weaknesses. And then I'll ask them in the areas where you see that, you know, uh, there's a strength, um, how can that be? a detriment to you to maybe where you're not going to rely upon the Holy spirit. And then I ask him in the area where you're, where you're weak, which areas in in here can you improve upon? But then I say, but what's the area that you're weak at that you just know I'm never going to be good at that. And part of it is because I think one of the things that we have a tendency to, 
it's hard for us to do sometimes is to be honest with ourselves, you know, and be honest that, hey, I can't do that. I know I'm not. like for me, I know I am never, ever going to be good at art. I can't even draw a good stick figure, you know, so <laughs> it's like I know. And the reason why I have them do this is that so they understand, OK, maybe your gift isn't organization, but organization is vital for your ministry. So you need to find somebody, you know, who's going to be able to help you in that area. And so I take them through that process so that they can come to learn. And I ask them, I say, I want you to make this list and then take it to a couple of people who really, really know you, have them look at it and see if they agree with it, you know, type of a thing. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, ask their spouse after they write <laughs> yeah. out their weaknesses. Is this right? <laughs> I always have them do that. Now, what about this, Daniel? Um, let's talk about, you know, I think we've, we've all experienced this. We know, you know, we've, we've seen this. I think there always comes a point in almost every single church where the church sort of plateaus. And, you know, there might be you know, new people that are coming in, but there's old people that are going and they kind of just reach this place where they just kind of plateau at this one particular spot. And I think in that moment, it can be very tempting to begin to just stagnate. And um, so my question is, what are some ways for a leader to evaluate if their systems and processes are contributing to stagnation? And, and, and then if it is, you know, how can they improve that? How can they get out of that place of just kind of falling into that, you know, place of just being stagnant? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so I would say there's a couple things. First, how do you know when you're stagnating? So like one of the things that we do at Crossroads is we have a scorecard, right? And so, uh, we always say like, we listen to the numbers and we don't talk back. It's not all about the numbers that just tells part of the story. So like, if we're like, we're committed to reaching lost people, then if we're not tracking how many people are saying yes to Jesus and how many people are being baptized, then we really aren't really passionate about reaching lost people. We just say it, hmm, right? right? And so like you have to evaluate what do you have? So like the only way you would know that if you're stagnating, now if you're not talking, um, if you're talking like numerical growth, that's like, so we're talking about we stagnate with numerical. Are we talking about spiritual? Like how do you assess yeah. spiritual fervor, you know? And like these are a lot of the questions I think all of us have, but like we have to figure out like, what are our scorecards for these things? Now, for us counting the number of people in men's and women's and students and kids, that doesn't tell the whole story, but it does tell part of a story, right? Because if we do want to reach new people, we want to we reach the lost, we want to disciple the saved, we want to deploy people, we need to know, like, are we actually doing that or not, right? So I think what happens is if, if you hit a point where you're like, okay, everything's kind of flat, we were growing as a church, we went from uh, 40 to 60, went from 60 to 100, and now we've been kind of hanging out around 90 for the last year, right? So like, so we, we're stagnating. Now, that could mean a couple of different things. One, it could mean, and if you know technical analysis in uh, stock investing, as something that I did as a hobby, uh, they call that in, in technical analysis, they call it consolidating a base. What that means is the stock won't go up forever. It'll go up to a certain point, and then it, got, it has to get comfortable being at that point so that it can go higher, but it, it consolidates at a certain amount. The same thing happens if you're trying to lose weight, right? You plateau in your weight loss. Now, what a lot of people do is they plateau, maybe they lost 10 pounds and then they're, stopped, they're stuck for two weeks. They're like, oh, it's not working. I'll just go back to eating the way that I used to eat. And then you two get all years. the workout. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but sometimes your body's just getting used to being its new weight and it wants to keep losing weight. So the key is just to keep doing what you're doing. And so you have to look when you hit that plateau, is there anything that we're doing that could be hindering it? 
you know, and so it does make sense. You do want to look at your processes because that is one of the factors, uh, you know, and what I think a lot of, for a lot of churches, they don't know why they're plateauing because they're actually not following any processes. So like, they don't even know, like, like, well, we think kids ministries plateau. Well, how many people did you have last year? Oh, we don't know. How many people do you have now? We don't know. Right. It just, it, it feels different. Well, maybe you, you know, maybe you have a bad leader in there. Maybe there's something that, that you don't realize you actually grew by 10%. You just don't know unless you're tracking it. But so you, you want to look at everything when you find yourself at play. And we do the same thing when we're growing. So it's like, like, as we're growing, like, is there anything that we're doing that other than obviously it's the work of the spirit, but is there anything that we're doing that like, Hey, we keep hearing, Hey, we found crossroads because of this. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we find those things, we're like, Oh, so that's a, that's an engine that God is using to reach people. Do we want to throw gasoline on that fire to reach more people? Right. And so I think in either way, you really want to be able to track what's going on and then ask yourself the hard questions. And I think the reason people stagnate is because we're just not willing to ask ourselves the hard questions. Are there things that we're doing that are limiting the work that God wants to do or holding people back from stepping into whatever it is that God has for us? I love that answer. I love it. Yeah. Every bit of it, your scorecard, you know, the tracking of your decisions and your baptisms and your attendance and your participation. And, you know, there are those guys that, that will say, you know, oh gosh, you know, David, he was rebuked when he, when he started counting the people and, and it, and, you know, Hey, okay. That's a pride issue. That's a, a you know, a self, you know, how are we self-sufficiently equipped kind of issue? That's not a stewardship issue where you're saying, you know, where are we being effective and how is the Lord uh, moving and working and, and just having a concept of, uh, of, of how everything works. When I, I think that what you're saying, that's the key because obviously the example of David but as you said, it was a heart problem. Right. He was wanting to trust his army, not the Lord. Right. But then you have the book of numbers, which is all lists of the number of people. That <laughs> right. Right. And I always like to tell people that, you know, the only way the shepherd knew that one sheep was missing because he knew he had a hundred. Right. You know, and it's like, so when, like when, when there's a hundred, there's only 99 there. Like, well, there's almost a hundred. So right. like, so yeah, so you have to know the state of your flocks. But the right. key is, like you said, like I would never bring the crossroads scorecard out here and be like, look at what, like, we are awesome. It's right. like, no, no, this is just what we're, this is who and what we're dealing with. And we want, if we want to reach students, we're saying, man, we want to see students get saved. Right. Right. Then I want to track our students getting saved. So I, I can track that. I can say, Hey, listen, at last Wednesday, five kids gave their life to the Lord and three of them got baptized a month later. You know, like you can yeah. start looking and seeing, are we doing it? If you're saying, no one's gotten saved. We give an altar call every time youth gathers. Right. No one gets saved. Then if you say that you want to reach students, you got to look at, well, we're obviously not reaching lost students because they're not, no one's getting saved after a year. Right. Right. Yeah. Any thoughts on that idea of stagnation, Miles? Well, it, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you guys were talking about baseball before we got started here. And, and I'm not a huge baseball guy, but when I do watch, I'm always blown away by the stats that they come up with. Like they've got numbers for every possible oh, yeah. thing like that you could ever imagine. This guy throws this pitch in this inning at this point. You're like, yeah. where did you come up with this stuff? And they got decades of this stuff going back. And you look at a lot of the stuff that we do within churches a lot of time. We're just, we're not, we're not doing the work of actually evaluating what we're doing. And we don't, we don't have a good idea about what's going on. I was invited to come do an assessment of a church a number of years ago um, they were at kind of a, a point of stagnation and they had a really good team of staff and leaders. And I had put together some questions to ask these people. And, you know, I'm an outsider coming in with fresh eyes, but I asked their team to give me some feedback. And I found that 
they they just hadn't asked any questions, but their entire team knew all the points of er issue that needed to be addressed. Just no one had ever asked like, well, how's this working and what's going on here? So just having that fresh outlook and saying, we making that a part of your culture that we're going to ask the question, are we doing a good job in these various areas? Like Daniel was talking about, whether it's youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever, even in the parking lot, are we doing a good job as you were talking about, Rob, getting people into the yeah. parking lot, getting them out of the parking lot? Yeah. Because if you have multiple services and you don't have great parking, yeah. it's going to be a pain point and yeah. a difficult thing, but really building it into your culture of just asking those questions. And, you know, to be quite honest, and we've all seen this before, people who are involved in ministry, whether they're paid staff or they're a lay leader, um, they can they can be easily offended if you start asking questions. But if it becomes a part of the regular thing that you do, mm -hmm. that this is how we evaluate things, then people start to realize, oh, well, this is what we do. You know, we're, we're trying to work on the ministry, like Daniel was saying, instead of just working in the ministry. Yeah. And I love the fact, Daniel, that you brought up, um, you know, the whole idea of like, okay, our kids getting saved or, um, you know, how many people are engaged in this Bible study and that it's not all about, you know, numerical growth, but it's the idea of, you know, what you started off with, Miles, you're talking about discipleship and that is our calling and our mandate. And so I think we have to evaluate from that standpoint of, you know, are we really fulfilling our calling in making disciples? Right. And, um, you know, how are we doing that? And, and, and so it's looking at that from, you know, that aspect. And because some churches, I mean, we all know this, I mean, some, you know, churches don't grow as big or as fast as, you know, other churches do. Um, but they can be doing an incredible work in the sense that they're, you know, there's people getting saved, there's people being raised up, there's people being sent out. And, you know, that type of thing is happening. And it's super, super healthy because they, they do are they're paying attention to the systems and structures and, and they're never stagnating because there's constantly almost like the, you know, the analogy of the red sea, you know, it's, or the dead sea, you know, it's uh, dead because it only has an intake and it doesn't have an outtake. And, and so, you know, we, that's one of the things I think we have to process is in all of our ministries is that happening where there's the intake and the outtake. And if that's happening, there isn't going to be stagnation that takes place. It's going to be constantly moving and growing. We uh, we observed as we started that uh, a system uh, systems and structures they're they're not set it and forget it kind of things that they're not mm -hmm. static things that we we get these in place but then we need to uh, consciously and intentionally be working the processes and reworking the processes and this becomes effectively or uh, 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 increasingly true uh, when our churches are growing, mm -hmm. you know? And so let's address that for a minute, that you, you've you got systems and structures in place. You like them. We we, uh, we love when, when, you know, don't it's working, don't mess with it. <laughs> but then they have these pinch points where you start to outgrow them. So let's talking about outgrowing your systems and structures and, um, and your approach to that. Well, I think it's really important to recognize that when you're outgrowing your systems and processes, that's a good problem. Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. people get really upset about that, but that's a really good thing. And then recognizing that what worked when you had 150 people will not work when you have 1,500 people. It's not going to be the same thing at all. You know, we observed something at our church. I think a lot of people have experienced this. COVID turned every system and process on its head. <laughs> totally. And so you had to reevaluate what you were doing. And so as as people are starting to come back to our church, what we're seeing every single week right now, and I assume you know a lot of other people are seeing this as well, is that you have people more than normal who are 
for lack of a better term, church shopping. And I mean, I don't think we like that idea, but we have a lot more people who are coming and trying out our church every single week than we normally would. And, you know, for a very long time, we had kind of a newcomer's gathering. So about every five weeks, we would have a newcomer's gathering after church on a Sunday. We'd invite people who had been coming to the church the last five weeks to come to that. That worked great when we had kind of this normal routine of what we thought was normal of new people coming to the church. But when we've got four or five new families coming in the door every single week, just kind of checking out the church, and they're probably only going to be there one or two weeks, that wasn't going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we moved it to a five-minute meeting after the service. We just tell people, hey, right after the service, right outside that door, we have a five-minute meeting. You can meet the pastors. We'll introduce you to the church. And, And that's just adjusting for new realities. So it's kind of saying... That old thing didn't work very well for this new situation. It worked yeah. great uh, 24 months ago. doesn't work the same anymore. Yeah, it's like that. It's the saying, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Kind of attitude. That's good. You know, one of the processes we worked on was our new believers process. You know, uh, and because, you know, for a long time, you know, we'd have new believers at the services. And then we got really intentional about giving altar calls every gathering, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so sure enough, then all of a sudden you start having you know, uh, 30, 40 people coming forward. And then very quickly you were like, oh, and, and we're like, when this started happening, I'm like, well, what's our process for new believers? Because if we're, if, if we're going to, if we're going to catch them, we might as well fillet them the right way. Like, <laughs> like, How are we going to process them? Yeah. yeah. It's like, like we were doing just kind of catch and throw back, you know? And, and so it's like, so very quickly, like, oh, we have a new believers small group that meets on Mondays. I'm like, great. How many people go to that? Three. Oh, that's not good, you know? And, and so, so very quickly we're like, okay, we need to re, we need to redevelop this process. And so we, we went through the whole thing where now it's like, as people come forward, we bring them out into our prayer room. We get a uh, very basic information from them. And then starting that night, they get like a drip each day. They get a video in their inbox. Hey, you just gave your life to Jesus this morning at Crossroads. We are so excited for mm-hmm. you. Listen, this is what we want you to know. And so we, and we realized that rather than waiting for them to filter back to Crossroads, for a a new believers meeting or the next week, we wanted to get them edifying, encouraging content in their inbox because now we have, you know, we had email and all this stuff. Boom. We started getting them that. And then three days later, whoever received them in the prayer room was going to call them on the phone to say, Hey, this is Brian. I met you on Sunday at Crossroads. I just want to see how you're doing and how I can pray for you. And then before you know it, now we're having touch points for people. And they're like, Hey, listen, are you going to come to, are you going to be back at church on Sunday? Yeah. Hey, listen, I'll be waiting for you. What service you have? I'd love to sit with you if you want to, you know? And so trying to find those ways to, because we, we see the research that when people give their lives to the Lord, whether it's at a crusade a year later, only 10% of the people are, are functionally connected to a local church. We're like, well, let's see how we do with that, you know? And, and, and then we track, how's it working? You know? And we found that it's working, you know, we were doing about 40, about in the low 40% of, of getting people connected back in. And we're like, Hey, that's, that's good, but we're constantly working on those processes to make sure that, hey, this actually gets the job done. I love that. We're going to pause for a minute to hear from our friends at Cultivate, a church planting initiative of CGN. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting 
adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. I know one of the things that I absolutely can drive our team crazy on is that I think all of us have the natural tendency to move towards comfort, you know, and so we like it when we get our, our thing and it's working and we like this. And, but my, my thing I'm always asking is, okay, how can we make it better? Right. You know, okay, that's great. But how can we make it better? You know, and like you're saying, Daniel, it's like, okay, like I'm catching, you're saying, okay, we're at 40%, you know, that's way better than the three that we're coming, but how can we make it better? You know? And I, I love that. And, and sometimes though, you know, that can cause some tension because the people that you're serving with, I think they're natural. We naturally gravitate toward toward comfort, and we want to get something set up to where it's like, okay, I got this going in this way. But I don't know about you guys. I'm constantly finding the Lord every time I get to a place where I'm starting to feel comfortable. He kind of like tips the nest over, you know, and um, because he, I think He always wants me to be in that place where I'm constantly just being dependent upon Him. Well, and kind of come back to something that Daniel was saying in that is that, you know, what he's describing is kind of what you would call workflows and filters, you know, and, and we sometimes will just go through what is our workflow for that person who is the, the first time person who came to the church or they, they put their hand up and they prayed to receive Christ. You know, what is the next step in that workflow? And, and are we triggering this in the right way? Who's following up on that? Who's inputting that into the computer system that actually runs all that sort of stuff? And who's checking to see on Tuesday, did it, did that first step get done and circling back? And, you know, it, it really is just having, and they don't not, they do not have to be complicated. It can be as simple as taking out a pad of paper and writing down, here's step one, here's step two. What's the algorithm that, you know, Bill who raised his hand on Sunday is going to be going through over the next five days as we're trying to connect him with the various things in the church. So it's just kind of developing what that workflow is and then just simply going through it. And one of the things that, that I've seen is that as things do begin to scale, they like um, Daniel used the word complexity a while ago. When, when there's more people, it's more complex. You have to work really hard to simplify so that it's easy and you don't end up with major clogs in that problem. So it's like, you really need to work down through and like, does this step number five C really need to be here? Do we need this in here? And all right, let's, let's get rid of that if it's not working. So, so really evaluating what is mm-hmm. the process that you're going through is important. Um, I, I'm intrigued and loving this, this conversation and sympathetically going back to the guy that is thinking, I don't eat, man, I'm, I'm tempted just to turn this off and go find a safe place for me because I don't even think about this and, and, and all. It can be very intimidating, you know? So just being able to open up, and, and Miles, what you were just doing, 
is inviting somebody into your head the way you're thinking through it. Right. And and so you talk about, you know, workflows and filters. And, and really, you know, another helpful thing with that in mind is, you know, why don't you just like consider what the end result is you want right. and start reverse engineering from that because that helps you establish those workflows and filters to where you go, well, if this is what I'm going for, okay, let's, let's, let's just reverse engineer that. If I, if I want them to be here, then what steps mm-hmm. need to happen and in what order and in what time frame does that need to happen? So that helps somebody who does, it doesn't naturally think in this way to, um, to be getting their head around it, you know? Well, and if I could throw out like a quick tip on that too, that, you, you know, I, I think in most churches, you're going to have some people who have significant gifts in the area of administration. And one of the ways that you can identify, and I, this is probably going to freak some people out. There are some people who go to your church who they are not serving and they might duck out right after the service, but they are giving more money than most people which means they, mm-hmm. they have some wealth. And if you start to find out who those people are, you might find that they are a C-level executive at a company or they're running a very large business and they know how to make these things a reality. Like they mm-hmm. have done this, they could do that in their sleep. I'm blessed because my dad worked for five decades in major construction, building billion dollar jobs. And, and I have asked him many, many times, you know, how do you approach a billion dollar job when you're building Cardinal Stadium in Phoenix or you're building Petco Park, which were the jobs, he did those jobs. And, and he has shown me, you know, what are the steps that I approach these with? I cannot do what he does. Yeah. And he has an administrative mind. He knows how to do those things that, that somebody else doesn't know how to do. Now, if I asked him to get up in front of people and speak in front of them, he would sweat himself to death. He'd be like, there's no way I'm doing that. So he has different gift set than I do. Right. I think one, one part of it, and I think you, we're all alluding to it, but I just want to reiterate it, that if you're listening to this, and I realize like, for all, you know, the four of us talking, we, you know, we're lead pastors with staffs of people who have different gifts around us. And, and you may be looking at the, at the church Bible, like, yeah, I don't have anybody who has that skill set. And what I would encourage you is reach out to a friend who's a pastor, you know, and say, Hey, listen, you know, I was listening to this podcast. They were talking about uh, systems and processes. And I just wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to kind of poke my eye out with my pencil because like, <laughs> I don't want to do, I don't want to do that, but I realized there might be something there that could help me maybe can you help me? Or do you have someone on your, your team who can help me? And I'll just say like, if, if you're that pastor, you could reach out to me at Crossroads in Vancouver, Washington. And I'd love to put you with our yeah. operations pastor. Like we would love to help. Like we, we realize it's not everyone's gift. And you're like, man, I just want to preach the Bible. I want to I want, I want to disciple people. I don't want to think about the supply chain and workflows. I don't want to think about that stuff. So, but like there, you, you, we are a body and not one of us is the whole body. Right. And right. so we need to make sure we get those other body parts around us. And, and again, if you want to call crossroads, we'd be happy to, to connect you with people who are good at systems, who can help you at least get a handle. We can send you some, some resources to help yeah. you with that because it is, I remember before I came to crossroads, I was a church planter and I had to learn all these systems right. by, by doing this, like calling people up on the phone. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Like, like, what do you do? And I didn't know how to do any of it. And then, you know, then someone's like, oh, I have this guy on our staff. I mean, Miles, you know, you, your, uh, your ops guy was one of the first guys who helped me when I was church planning. Where you're like, oh, hey, talk, talk to this guy, Richard. He, he'll help. You know, and then and he gave me all these processes that I would never have known. And I definitely didn't want to come up with on my own, right, you know. And right. so so reach out for the help. And, and, and you know, people will be happy to help. That's a good word. And, and, and let's drill down on that for a minute, because all four of us have pastored Churches when they were small, mid-size, and, and even large. Like I said, you were a church planner. I was a church planner. Um, Ted's planted 
churches uh, before. And so we've all been in that, that place. And so, you know, when should systems and processes be centralized, decentralized? When, when should you come to the place of, of delegating? And one of the things that I would just say to that, that I had to, to learn is I think, you know, you have to be willing, you know, as the lead guy to let go. And, and sometimes that means um, something's not going to get done the way that you would do it, but it's going to get done. And you have to be okay with that, especially when you're, you know, just starting out. Maybe you don't have a staff. I mean, I remember, you know, I had to delegate to guys and, and you know, they wanted to approach some things different than, than I would. And I used to come to the our church. We met in a school and I would come, you know, early and I'd help with setup and all of that, but I would get so frustrated over the way things were being done. I finally got to the point where I was saying, you know, okay, you guys do this and I'm going to show up at this time, you know, and usually it was after it was already all put together because um, it just tweaked me, you know, but I let, I gave them ownership and they ran with it. And you know what? It, it actually functioned fine. You know, it just wasn't the way I would have approached it, but it functioned, you know, well, so there has to come a point where you're willing to, you know, be able to, to let go and to give people, you know, when is it that you were mentioning about your dad and guys like that? Somebody was telling me once that guys that are in that place, and I found the same thing about guys in the military, is that um, a lot of them have to be asked, you know, like they're not going to just volunteer. They're not going to be like, you know, when the, the pulpit announcement goes out, that they're like, oh yeah, I'll sign up for that. Because I think in the scope of what they're doing, you know, in their life, and it is big and they got a lot on their plate, they're thinking, oh, you know, probably somebody else can, can do that. But when you approach them and say, hey, you know, we have this need or this thing, I think you'd be great for this. I want you to pray about this. Um, oftentimes I find that they respond and almost every single guy in our church that was in, in the military, they were that way, like capable guys who never volunteered. But as soon as I asked them, it was like chain of command. You know, that was like, it's in their makeup, it's in their psyche. And so sometimes we have to be willing. And I do that all the time where I just am looking for people that I see that potential that I'll come up and I'll just say, Hey, I got something I want you to pray about. And that becomes the starting point for them to be able to get involved. And I think we have to remember that, you know, if, if we think about what we're doing, oftentimes like, Hey, we need help in kids ministry. And some, and, and a guy who's a senior vice president of Fortune 50 company is like, yeah, I barely made it through my own kids being metal. <laughs> exactly. you know, or like, hey, we, we, need, we need help on the worship team. And they're like, yeah, I can't play an instrument, you know, and, and, but there is that gift of administration. And so, I, you know, I remember when I was a church planner, I'm like, listen, you know, we need some help with the, uh, setting up the administration and processes of Crossroads. Yeah. Or, or, or of, at the time it was Calvary North Bay in, in Mill Valley. You know, and it was amazing because you had a couple of people who were like, they were operational people working in corporate America. And they're like, oh, I would love to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's like, they don't even think about it. I'm just sitting back and just being like, oh, that was the best announcement I ever made. Like, <laughs> so, so oftentimes, you know, not, we don't give the easy on-ramp. That was the word that Miles used earlier. We, didn't, we don't give the easy on-ramp for people with administrative giftings mm -hmm. because by and large, it is in a smaller church, it's a volunteer position or in a larger church, it's a, a staffed position, but we actually want that investment of the wisdom that God has given people, given their skill set and, and, and the life circumstances that God has given them. But I think some guys can also be afraid to give that to somebody because they want to Well, on that, on that point, you know, it's, 
you know, one of the things that's a, a well-known thing, whether it's Leadership Network has seen it, Exponential, all these different groups, that the churches that are planted and they're unable to cross that 100 barrier, nine times out of 10, it is the senior leader who's the clog mm -hmm. that, that is unable to let some of those things go. And, you know, what, what they find when they do start to let things go is that now all of a sudden they're freed up to do the things they really enjoy doing. Yeah. They got a whole bunch of, a whole deck of things that they do that they have to do and are actually like the last thing they put on the list to do because they don't want to do it. Yep. And there are some people in their church that would probably gladly take those things, as you said, if the person, if they went and asked them. And, you know, I'm thinking of three guys right now that come to our early service. So, that, you know, there's the early risers, which I am not, but these are the guys who they're never, like Daniel said, going to sign up to do children's ministry. One of them was the city manager of a very large Southern California city for a long time. And he's just not that kind of guy, mm -hmm. but he's the guy who I will call if we need to go talk to our city manager and say, how do I talk to this guy? Yeah. What do I need to do to navigate the issues with city government? And he knows every in and out. And then, uh, you know, I'm thinking of another guy who goes to our first service, who is the chief executive of a, a media production company. Mm. And he's also never in a million years, is he going to go help with the third graders? But if I have a question about how to run systems and processes, this guy, he knows what's going on. He, he's the guy that I got to turn to. So it's, it's really getting to know the people that are so, part of your church. Yeah, You've got exactly. to get to know the people. And to your point, Rob, there are guys that are, that are, afraid to let go of the control. They're afraid to let somebody in like that because, oh gosh, what are, what are they going to do? How can I trust them? And, and to, that, to that, I would say that, you know, as by definition, uh, systems are, uh, are a, uh, a network of processes. There's a number of processes. There's a number of moving parts. Give them one, you know, as you're faithful and little, you'll be faithful yeah. in much. Give somebody a small process sure. to work on and then you go, oh, wow, they, I like how they, okay, now that you, now that you helped us with our tithe counting process, would you <laughs> would you consider doing this yeah. or whatever it is, you know, and just giving broadening their scope of of opportunity? And when we don't let go, we're handcuffing the body of Christ, and and that's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we're supposed to be raising up people for the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry is very very broad. It goes way beyond children's ministry or worship team or you know. That type of thing. Well, and when you ask the question about centralized versus decentralized, you know, I think you should decentralize as much as you possibly can. You centralize the things that can only be done within the office, you know, those sort of things. But when you're trying to decentralize, you can only decentralize if you're willing to give responsibility with authority. Right. You have to give the person the adequate authority to do whatever That's it is good. you're asking them to do. It's really yeah. good. And there's no doubt that I think there's a difference between dumping and delegating. <laughs> yes. So like, so like when you're giving someone authority, you still maintain oversight over them. And so right. that, 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 so you can give things away, but you don't have to, you can just make sure that it looks and you feel comfortable with what's going on. I think when you really think about kind of uh, processes that are centralized versus decentralized, I like to say that our centralized processes create the guardrails so that at, at, where the rubber meets the road, like, let me give you an example. Like, so we'll set like a, a budget for a mission trip, right? So, but, but within the budget for the mission trip, when there's boots on the ground and there are things happening, we need the people to do the work of the ministry and they, and uh, things that you didn't plan on are going to happen. Right. And so like, we'll say, Hey, this is the budget. And if you're going to go over the budget, we just let us know what's going on and how we can help budget better for the future. But so we want them to be able to get the job done in a way that feels uh, good to them. But we also want to give them the guardrails so that like, you don't like, you know, bankrupt the church because you ended up in an orphanage and there was <laughs> 500 kids and, and you just could not, not buy all of them 
everything, you know? And, and so there are those, you want those, those centralized uh, processes to be the guardrails to keep everyone safe. But then there is decentralized freedom uh, within it, not in every area, but in a lot of areas so that people feel it, they are empowered and they can do the things that God has called them to. Let's, uh, let's, let's turn and, and talk about this idea of what got you here won't get you there. And, you know, sometimes as your church is growing and your systems and structures are growing, um, sometimes you outgrow the capabilities of some of your team members. And that can be really difficult. Um, and, and sometimes they become the lid of your effectiveness to go, you know, beyond and, and so on. Um, and maybe that can be you in some ways, you know. And so what advice would you give to those who find themselves that, they need more robust systems and processes, um, and they're beyond the current leader's capabilities, beyond some of your teammate members' capabilities. Um, that's Man, that's a hard thing to, to, to face. And so how, how do we deal with that? Well, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard, and it's hard in a church setting as opposed to like a business setting, is that you know, if you have to let somebody go, let's say, because they're just not that the right person anymore, that position has outgrown them, you know, that person's connected to 30 or 40 other people, you know, in your church. And if they get, get disgruntled or feel like they weren't, you know, um, that can cause a, a major, major problem. And so I think that's something that we face that a lot of people, you know, in the outside of the church realm, because don't face because the church is more of like a family. There's that connectedness um, between people, especially if the church isn't, you know, super, super big. Um, what I've tried to do in navigating this is trying to find, you know, one, it's great if you can get the person to admit and see the problem. So that's where, I've, that's where I try to start, you know, is through a set of conversation and questions to get them to see, okay, I'm not the right person for this anymore. This has outgrown me. And so I'll start with, um, okay, what can we do to help? You know, what can we add to this um, to make it so it is going to work? And um, or looking for something else that is a next step for them, a role that they can move into. And um, but it's a, it's a, I, I, I would say it's a the type of thing that you need to approach with a lot of prayer and a lot of patience and be willing to have those kind of conversations. And, um, so far to date, I've actually had some really good success in approaching some people who fit that description, who have moved into other, um, you know, areas. And then the area that they were in, we got the right person in there where it was able to thrive, but it's, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. I think you want to be able to find out, is it, uh, can they, they can't do it or they won't do it. So that, so they, so they, they won't, you know, they can't do it because it, it, there's skills that are lacking yes. in the new reality. You, we can train skills. Won't do it is a heart problem. It's good. Right. Uh, where is like, they really liked it the way that it used to be. And so I think it, you know, and again, like we can change, we can train skills and God can change hearts. 
you know? Uh, and so I think that's, that's a big piece of it, especially as things are evolving. Is it a can't or won't? And if it's a won't, you guys say, listen, given the new reality, this is actually what it needs. And so, you know, what do we need to do to help you make the turn in your heart from what it, what it was to what it needs to be going forward? I think the other thing, and Rob, you said, and it was, and, and I think it's very important, which is that we're managing to use kind of the psychological framework. We're, we're managing dual relationships, so like we're a church, we're a family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But then within the context of the local church, then it's also a, a, a position of employment. You know, it is a ministry leadership, even if it's not a, a paid position. And because of that, there are expectations and, and needs that are there, you know. And so and I think the key is to, to be able to both acknowledge the dual relationship. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're also, as ministry leaders, we have, uh, you know, there are different roles and responsibilities that we need to get at. And I think that that's also, I think a lot of times we make that mistake. And Rob, you did a, just such a great job of explaining that, that the that we're family, but in this role uh, on staff, this is what is needed which is different from what we hired you for, but in this new season, this is what we need. And, and can this be something that we, that we work through? And so I think just acknowledging the dual relationship and making sure that someone doesn't think that their employment is kind of continued, like that if you're not employed or they're not leading men's ministry, that they're no longer your brother in yeah. Christ or your sister in Christ, if it was women's ministry or whatever. Uh, I think that's an important piece of it just from a, a relational uh, standpoint. So, I mean, you touched on this, Rob, this is like the most touchy subject within any sort of organization, especially when you're working with people who feel like family in so many different ways. So we try to be as careful as possible of this, but we, we have a rule within our leadership team. It's not written down, but it's like our team knows if someone who's in leadership offers you the keys, we take the keys and we pass to the people. So we don't try to argue them back into being in that ministry. So they, they've come to an area where they, they realize that they're they're not doing a very good job. As soon as they offer themselves up as like, I don't think I'm, you know, best for this job. We don't try to talk them into it. Like, oh no, we can make it better. We just, we take the keys, we pastor them. We try to move them into a better place. It, it's different when you're working with staff. I mean, be, right before COVID happened, we had a guy who was running our junior high ministry, had done a great job with the junior high ministry for a long time. But we, myself and our executive pastor, we made an intentional move to move him out of that role. He was not happy with us. Mm. And we made him the overseer of all of our media. And we had no idea. He has a passion for photography and videography. We had no idea that COVID was going to happen and everything was going to go online. <laughs> he instantly became, you know, one of the most important people on our staff in about 10 weeks after we had moved him kicking and screaming out of junior high ministry. And now if I offered him to go back to junior high ministry, he would never do it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes people don't realize that you've actually thought about this and you've prayed about this. And I think there may be a better role for you. So as much as possible, we try to move people laterally yeah. into a better position for them. But we have that rule. If someone offers us the keys, we take the keys and pastor the person. Yeah, that so is so good. good. So good. Recognizing that, you know, people, uh, okay, hey, they belong on the bus, but their seat's going to change on the yeah. bus and having that, that conversation about where that's going to be the discernment of the pastor in that process to be able to prayerfully know where you're taking the organization, where the Lord wants you to be taking the organization and the role that the, the, all the shepherds and on the staff are going to be yeah. taking. In and, that. and every one of us that have had to, and I'm, I'm thinking all four of us have had to let somebody go. Who's a staff person. Um, I I've never had a person stay at the church after that mm -hmm. point. Like they're, they're not going to stay at the church. They're going to 
consider that I'm the devil for the rest of eternity. Yeah. And um, it's just it's one of the hard have, parts. I actually, actually have, God bless yeah. you, Rob. You're better than me, <laughs> man. Time. But here's something. I, like, I'm the reason that yeah. you have some people at your church, I think. You know, you, you know I actually yeah. did too. But what I realized through that is that these people were incredibly mature in the Lord. And I yeah. really, the way I handled it, it had nothing to do with it, I don't think. No. And they were just so that mature. Well, one of the things I think I found is that nine times out of 10, that person who is maybe floundering in a role, deep down, they know it. And they're frustrated. They're struggling, you know, in their heart already. And so that's why I'm saying, I think if we can approach them and, and pastor them, you know, and come across and just be like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, and, and what's happening and what's going on in your heart? What do you, you know, what do you see, um, you know, yourself, where you see you're at right now in the ministry and, you know, the, the issues and the problems and, and, you know, they, they know, and they don't know how to fix it. And so it becomes a thing where like, okay, do, do we need to, to hire somebody else to come alongside you and help you? Or, you know, do we need some training? Like the, your thing, the skills or the heart thing. And sometimes, you know, it can just come to the point with some people. I mean, I think we, we all experience this, that it can even be an age thing. You know, they just reach an age where they're like, I don't have the energy I used to have, you know? And, uh, but I think a lot of times they know it, you know, and so if we can move them laterally or help them get to the point to see that for the betterment of the ministry here, it's time. It's time for somebody else. It's time for them to hand the keys over, you know, to somebody else. And, and I think that um, if that, I, that can be a good thing. I think it's also important. I, I mean, because we're having this conversation and I'm sure I know people who are listening, it's it, in the end, whether we're talking systems or processes staff it's really a question of stewardship it, like it's god's church and we're responsible to steward it you know and at this point like i'm sure there are people who are listening right now who they have uh staff members who are not doing anything they're dragging everybody down and the pastor just loves jesus so much that they won't talk to that staff member at all and and at this point i think i i would want to just say that like, you're just being a lousy steward and a bad pastor if you do that <laughs> you know uh and, uh, you know, as Rob's talking about, hey, like we want to pastor people, Miles is talking, we want to pastor people, you know, um, you know, that that inability to have a hard conversation with a staff member. Uh, also, you talk about uh, things that cause stagnation uh, within a church when you have staff uh, people who've been there for a while who are beloved, but are really not doing a good job. They're not doing their job, you know, uh, and pastors who are unwilling to talk to those staff members and and have those hard conversations and say, hey, listen, that we can't do it this way. Um, that also, I think, is is creating a lot of drag in the work that God wants to do in a local church. And it, it, as a, as somebody who coaches lots of pastors and talks to lots of pastors, I'm always like, well, when are you going to have that hard conversation with them? Yeah, about okay. about about them actually doing their job. You know, how long are you gonna let? Like, how long has that been going on? It's been going on for six years, <laughs> and it's like, man, like like man, if Jesus came back yesterday. Like, like I, I'm just be like, Lord, I'm so sorry that I didn't love your bride enough to make sure that we, got, we, we, we operated on that body part to make it function so that the body can be healthy. And so we want to make sure that we're not in the name of love, uh, which isn't biblical love, but in the name of love, not having hard conversations to help people take those proactive steps to be vibrant in the different seasons of the life of a church. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, so good. All right, great content, guys. And uh, just to wrap this up, let's do a quick roundtable. This could be a reiteration of a point that's been made or 
just a, a quick thought that hasn't that hasn't been expressed yet, but that you think would be pertinent. I'm going to go first and just simply say the uh, uh, Daniel, you're four by three. Uh, man, what that that is uh, that's that's worth the price of admission right there. And then uh, Miles, with you talking about easy on ramps and then identifying the friction, or what I put in next to it, traffic jams. You know, uh, what are the easy on ramps and what are the traffic jams that you've got? I think that's a great paradigm just to kind of approach this idea of systems and structures, um, just as a as a working. Uh, okay, this is the base of what, the way I'm going to approach because it, it's easy to do. Okay, where where, where's the easy on-ramps that we've got? Where do we need more easy on-ramps and so on? So uh, so that's me. Miles? Yeah, I had written down a couple of things here just to throw out, you know, some of the key things that we try to do is we try new th try new things, plan and pencil, and mm -hmm. edit as you go. That's good. You know, we, we kind of try to edit as we're moving along and see if we can get to where we're trying to get to a little bit better. And... Um, you know, my dad, the construction worker, he told me one time that uh, a little bit of thought in planning will solve big problems. And, you know, when you're, when you're faced with something that seems like a really big problem, if you just spend some time deconstructing it, thinking about it, and how can we address it, you might find that you're able to do it. So good. Daniel, you're up. Um, so one of the things that I was thinking about as we were talking, and it was kind of rooted out of our discussion about like when people say that um, systems and processes are corporate or not spiritual, and just the way that conversation went, I'm just reminded of, of something I have to remind myself all the times that we need to reject all false dichotomies, mm. because they're false, and Jesus is the truth. And so we have a tendency to think like, oh, like if, I'm a, if, if we're a family, then we, we should never move someone out of a ministry leadership, like Miles was talking about, or Rob, what you were talking about. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's the church, then it should be spirit led and never structured, you know, and, and those are just kind of the uh, false dichotomies. Like you're saying, it's this, not that when actually it, it is this, and it's also that. Mm. And so uh, I was just thinking, as we've been talking our whole conversation, it kept, kept popping up in my head in different ways. Let's reject all false dichotomies because they're false. And Jesus is the truth. That's Amen. great. That's Take great. us home, Rob. Well, I really love the, the, the idea that was thrown out, you know, that size as adds complexity, which is true. And, and that's something that we need to not fight against. And then when, when you said, I thought it was just golden, you know, people don't like structure because they don't like accountability. And I think we have to foster a culture that wants accountability, you know, in order for the system and structure to work. And so if everybody's on the same page, and kind of that has that that DNA realizing size is going to add to complexity. So we need the system and the structure and we need accountability. And if we all have that mindset, that team can really work well together and, and just have that teachable type of spirit. Outstanding. Well, guys, thanks so much for making the time to be here with us today. Thank you. God bless you both. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Our goal with this podcast is to help you lead well through all seasons and challenges of ministry life. So we'll see you next time on the Leadership Collective.